Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Benderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Over the past handful of seasons, there's not been many more defenders that are safe 90-plus performers that can reach the heights of some big ceiling hundreds. In the case of Jaden Short, he is potentially the missing key that could help your fantasy footy side succeed in 2024. Hello, it's MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you're well and welcome back to another episode of the 50 Most Relevant as I discuss who I think are the players we must have conversations about in 2024 for your super coach AFL fantasy and dream team sides, looking at their relevance to all the formats and how they impact our seasons coming up. Joining me on this episode to talk about one of his Tigers, it's fellow co-founder Rids. Hello, mate. How are you? Hey, mate. It sounds like um, it's pretty much the Monk Frio Rids Tigers show at the moment. Look, I think that might be the way we go. And look, it, I joke about it, but it's genuinely true. When we get guests on the 50 Most Relevant or we have different members of the panel, I always love them to come with an element of a, a really passionate viewpoint and I think it's one of the best things we can do in the community, Rids, is ask people that support teams and go, you follow this team better than anybody else. You know your team and you know fantasy footy. Bring it together. Yeah, we've got our own biases and things like that, but I think it's important to do. I agree. I 100% agree because often it's the supporters that actually understand the importance of a certain player to their team and how the structure's built around that player. So I absolutely agree. So let's look in to Jaden Short's 2023 season from a statistical perspective over in Supercoach. He averaged 98.6 in that format, meaning he's priced at just over 550,000. He scored eight tons for us last year, a top score of 130. But again, a career high of 169 is right in that ceiling sweet spot that we talked about just moments ago. An average of 92.5 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team means he's priced just above 850,000 in DT just a touch over 830,000 in AFL fantasy. Just over a handful of tons, there's six of them. A 123 was his top score last year and 131 is his career high AFL fantasy score. I think if you've played fantasy footy for a couple of years or frankly just watched Richmond over a really dominant handful of seasons during this era, Jaden has been someone that is so critical to not just our fantasy football sides, but also to Richmond. His run and carry, his penetrating kick, his ability to find space. And then he takes the game on in such a way, Rids, that he sets things up. Even though it might not be as flashy as some people might contrast him to other players in the AFL, Jaden Short, from just a pure football perspective, we'll get to the fantasy stuff in a moment, but just a pure football sense, is critical to what Richmond are all about doing and probably will be heading into 2024. And he won our best and fairest for Richmond in a premiership year not so long ago. So that just really speaks volumes of how important he is for the Tigers. It certainly does. Last year, we dive into this AFL fantasy year a little bit more. The average of 92.5 was broken down with six tons, including that one, two, three season high score. And, and importantly, he doesn't just have ceiling. His floor is really strong as well. Only four games last year where he dipped that scoring under 80. That sits him 11th for defenders by average heading into 2024. While over in Supercoach, 
arguably a better season with that average of 98.6, eight tons, three of them over 120, and just the two games under 80. So nice consistency of ceiling, really nice consistency of a high floor, and just the two scores under 80 all year. Ranks inside the top 10 by averages for defenders. He's been doing this for years, though. 90 plus, 90 plus, 90 plus over the past couple of seasons. And there were moments where people are going, oh, I don't know if he can crack 100, but outside of this injury impact game in round 16 this year, he was on track for another ton. I know it's the simplest way to do it, but when you remove some of these moments where you get injured mid-game, He's a flat 102 average last year in Supercoach and a 97 in AFL Fantasy. And we're often in the preseason reads looking for a little bit of upside and value as well as the scoring consistency and ceiling. Injuries are never great, but they do give us a little bit of value on the bone when it comes to considering Jaden Shaw. Yeah, that's exactly right. And there's a few ways to look at it as well, which I'll go into more depth detail shortly. But Jaden Short, a couple of years ago, now, it might leave a bit of a sour taste in a few people's mouths. He came out in a preseason game and went absolutely bananas, scored 170 or something, and everyone jumped on. They were expecting a golden-like output, like last year, due to that preseason game. He just didn't quite get there that year. But then again, his role was changing throughout the year. He had CBAs, everything else. But let's talk about that for a little bit, mate. So in 2022, and anyone can go in and have a look at the CBA numbers on DFS Australia. It's there on the AFL homepage. Just go in, click on Richmond, go back to 2022. You could see a large percentage of CBAs were attributed to Jaden Short because his role was more mid than defender back then. What happened at the end of 2022, MJ, um, just out of interest? Oh, well, oh, a couple Richmond of players went joined, out. didn't they? Yeah, they went out and raided the Giants, didn't they? And they got Toronto <laughs> and Hopper in. So what happens now is the necessity for Short to be a mid is now sort of flipped on a 10 and he becomes a half back again. Now, there was a couple of games last year that he had high or like about 50% CBAs. There was about sure. three-game stretch. But the thing is, there was injuries. There was reasons why he did that. Mm. But predominantly last year, he was half back. So what that means for Uzo, well, that's up, for, up in the air, yeah? We don't know, but he's training the backs right now. There's no real need for the team especially if a Presti is fit, especially if a Dusty is fit, especially if a Shea Bolton wants to take the next step. Mm. There's a lot of kids to go through, though. They went out and got Kane McAuliffe, for instance. Is a Tyler Sonsi going to go and rotate through the mids this year? There's, there's just a huge list. And I know that people are saying, well, the Tigers kids aren't there. But the thing is, it's not that bad. The Tigers kids are okay. It's yeah. just that... They're not as concentrated as a North Melbourne or Hawthorne at this point in time due to the volume of picks because they traded into Toronto and Hopper. But the thing is, there's still kids coming through. There's Jack Ross came through last year, played a lot on the wing and so on yeah. and so forth. That just says to me, okay, Short's definitely going back behind the ball and they like him there. That's there's one so thing much... they won't be changing. No, no, I agree. There's so much about what he brings structurally to that team. I think 
Uze have already come out in a couple of moments and said there will be changes and things we move. Okay, that that any new coach is going to say that. But someone like Short has really shown that the rebound that he brings, the run and carry, the elite ball use, he's not coming back into the inside as far as I'm concerned. I'm happy to be wrong on that. But as far as I can as best read it, everything points to the role that he held last year with Taranto and Hopper in, and then what he did in 2021, 2020, 2019, halfback general, get the ball into his hands, get him kicking the ball inside 50s, rebound and inside 50s is huge. Um, There's another aspect as well. The Tigers average team points from a fantasy point of view. Now, I won't talk about super coach right now. Let's just talk about fantasy, okay? There are parallels, but sure. Yeah, yeah, there's parallels. There's a lot of new cool features out there on the sites and everything else. DFS Australia and Footy Wire and a few other places have got everything you need. DT Live's another one. If you want to go break it down and everything else, there's plenty out there, okay? There's guys like Jaden on Twitter, like Rowan with Market Share, which we'll hmm. be talking about shortly on Twitter. Go and have a chat to these guys. They're very approachable, very friendly. They're rippers, okay? But they will explain it. If you don't understand it, they will explain it. They will help you through this process of how you can use these data sets to actually try and predict what's going to happen or to relate what we used to do in the head. How many times have we seen people go, oh, yeah, his average score last year was 90, but he's in, not, if you take out the injury games, yeah, his we average just did it five is 96. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the thing is, how does that relate? How do we frank that in regards to role? Well, I'll tell you one way we do it. Market share, mate. Market share is a U-butte little thing. I'll just quickly, and I hope I'm not going to balls this explanation up, okay? okay. I promised Rowan I wouldn't. Good luck. I'll, let's see how we go. So let's make it simple. I like simple because I'm a simple man and I'm getting old and we get more simple in life. Market share refers to the percentage of a player's points in relation to their team's fantasy points per game. So if Richmond has 1494 points on average a game and Short goes out and scores whatever, then that his percentage in correlation to that 1494 becomes his market share. Sure. I hope I did that well. No, I think that makes sense. Yep. Makes perfect. So first step I've got through, Rodio. I didn't ball that one up. (laughs) Now let's see if I balls this up as I go forward, Rodio. (laughs) Because, again, I'm old school, yeah? Like, you know, we've gone from writing in an exercise book, you know, and doing about five or six per season to – using a computer and using sites and you are yeah. yourself so hard right now oh yeah but i am though <laughs> because i am old so that's all good though <laughs> radio but i just want to put a bit of perspective around this Sorry. if you correlate the market share to the cbas you can get some indicate you may never see a game of football but you get some indication of what is shorts role and what yeah is Short's importance. Do they want the ball in his hands? Do they want him to distribute? And so on and so forth. I know there's other variables and I'm making it very simple, okay, at the Mm. moment, but I'm trying to do this on purpose. So let's look at last year. Short comes back in round six. From round six to the end of the year last year, his um, market share value was 6.4. 
So that's pretty much 6.4% of every game Richmond plays in, those points are going to go to Jaden Short. Hmm. There was one game in particular, though, I noticed. Now, again, you said it before, take out that round 16 injury-affected game. Hmm. Well, his market share value of that game was 1.9%. That was over 14 games, okay? That little stretcher thing. So you take away that 1.9 from the total percentage. Obviously, you reduce the games by one. Yes, of course. His market share then becomes 6.77. Okay. Yes, a lot of numbers. Please stick with me, guys. So 6.77% of Richmond's total points can be attributed to Short when he's fit and stays on the ground round six onwards last year. You know what that relates to? Richmond went at 14.94 on average a game last year. Hmm. That puts him at 101, mate, if he maintains that 6.77%. Yeah, correct. Rodeo. Now, in relation to the last few years, think about this. 2023, he was third for the Tigers, even with that injury, even with missing games, that slower start to the year. He was third for the Tigers behind Nankin Taranto. We Mm. know what Taranto did. We know Nankin was an absolute gun in the ruck last year. That's huge, mate. So in 2022, though, he was first at the Tigers. And his market share in 2022 was 6.6. Okay. In 2021, he was first at the Tigers and his market share was 6.3. So I'm hoping you guys now starting to understand, Rodeo, he is, if he's on the park, he's going to be a 6.5, high sixes, market share. Doesn't matter what role, because we just talked about his CBAs for 2022, 6.6% market share. We talked about the lack of CBAs in 2023, 6.77 if you take away that injured game, round six onwards. And I know there was a few early games, but I'm being a bit... Cheeky, okay? Cherry You're being generous to prove a point. That's fine. But I'm just trying to make it a bit clearer how we use these stats, yeah? I think it's it's such an important new thing. You and I have been playing fantasy football for a really long time, and, and some of the great minds that are in the community are going, oh, I do this thing with my work, or I've got this hypothesis, and starting to use the data in new and different ways. And as you said, not just going... Oh, he does this, therefore that. We've seen great evolutions in how we track fantasy data over the years. There's still, I believe, still a little bit behind in portions of the global way that fantasy sports are are captured and done. But it's great to see some really good evolutions. I think market share is a really interesting new piece that, again, people may have done on spreadsheets and on workbooks over the past five, 10 years, but rather now the ease of data does give people in the community another thing to look at. Yeah, but it shouldn't be a standalone, okay? No, no, it's got to be included in a conversation of other things. You've got to include it. And like, I mean, we talked about transitional and stoppage points like the other day from what Jaden was promoting, With Harry promoting on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you can use them. You can then do a further breakdown. See what his role's like. Is he getting more uncontested ball, more transitional points? Is he getting more stoppage points? And work through those. Now, let's go back about five minutes ago. I mentioned the average Richmond team totals over the last few years. 
they're all under 1500 mate richmond have never been a predominantly afl fantasy friendly team certainly not under damien hardwick no so it makes it even bigger now if Uze comes on and gives them a little bit of a license and they become a little bit more, possess the ball a little bit more, change the – it needs a tweak, yeah? They're in. They're not going well. No. Hardwick's oh, not they're, there they're anymore. They're redeveloping who they are and their identity, for sure. Exactly. So there is a chance that this pops a little bit. There is a but, world that you need to focus on. What is Richmond's total team points? Is it going up? Is it trending up? Under Uze in the first, say, month of football. Because I can tell you now, we have already pretty much said that Short's going to be in that range of market share because it doesn't really matter. He's important for the team. They want the ball in his hand. He's always going to dominate and dictate that market share value as we move forward. Okay? So if it's 6.5 or whatever else. But really, if the team points of that market share goes up, so does his points per average predictions. So... I mean, it's only common sense, yeah? If you're getting 5% of a pie, you know, and that pie gets bigger, you're getting more pie, yeah? 100%. I think the world where Short doesn't just maintain not only his market share, but his scoring trend of the past four years, which is a mid to high 90s guy across the format, just the opportunity where Richmond can't really score less points as a team over the past few years. So there are much easier pathways where short scoring doesn't just hold, but it easily grows. Do they take a little bit more of an uncontested element to the game with how they move the ball through that halfback line in transition? Do they look to do a little bit more run and carry and not just slap it on the foot and go forward? Is there some more transition and handball receives that a Jaden short can pick up through those midfield and wings as he pushes up the ground? Gosh, even kick-ins, he, he's never really got a good share. I think he had about 31 last year. And Vlosten and Rioli basically more than doubled, if not greater than that, of what he did last year. So the pathway of where he could increase his scoring capacity and overall share is really, really strong. But, Rids, I think people at this point of the podcast and, and video episode are like, yep, we're with you, boys. They're like, but he plays opening round. Yes, he does. That means at some point in the first six weeks for him, it'll be round five, that uh, or round six, rather, should I say, that he's going to miss a game of footy. Um, how important is it for you from a structural perspective? I think there's some nuances we can talk through in a moment to keep in mind this early buy where the community still as an overarching statement. Again, this is always a little hyperbolic, but it's if they're a premium, they've got an early buy around, I'm discounting them out. Can you come back to this conversation for me again to, to help us building our side from scratch to make sure we're not missing the opportunity considering short or another premium in these early buys? So for a start, I'm going to talk in a general point of view of this, okay? Please. Not for relating to me or my team i never do that anyway okay but i talk more from a general point of view shorts buy is round six so it's one of the later buys okay that's one of the hardest points there's a mm. few nice matchups just before his buy mate mm-hmm. whether it's a st kilda whether it's yep. a west coast and guess what that's his lead up into the buy yeah 
are you willing to forego those very friendly matchups from a fantasy point of view? And again, we're using last year's stats, so that got. may change. Okay. Sure. Are you willing to do? Are you willing to miss those opportunities? And we just talked about he he went 170 in a preseason game a couple of years ago when they held the ball. Mm. Like he's got ceiling for days. So do we want to miss those scores just because he's got a buy? Now there's other dynamics about this. Okay, of course. Who's going to cover for him when he does have his buy? Because in a real world, you want to still have 22 on the field, okay? So you can get your best 18 scores out of the 22 players playing. So you're going to have to substitute him for something. Is there a defender rookie sitting on your bench that is a very nice substitute? Do you have to sideways short at his buy? Do you have to try and upgrade another around six, you know, round six? to try and cover for short. Because really, the fact of the matter is, short's going to be in the top six to ten defenders anyway. Like, do you really want to trade out of these guys, you know, at that point of the season? When you're trying to get your rookies off your field, you're more inconsistent, more volatile scorers off the field, so you can have a bit more of a stable base week to week as you go through. So these are the questions you have to ask yourselves. If you're planning on trading out or into someone, mm. what are the curveballs? What are you going to do if something happens when you are planning this? Because yeah. really, we don't even like last week we were talking. What was it? It was I think it was Curtin I raised as a player of interest. Mm. He's in the rehab issue with a knee complaint right mm. now, so it changes very quickly. Okay, it jumps as very, very quickly, and you have to pivot very, very quickly. So you need to know the options to be able to pivot too as we move along. Is there going to be another D7, another D8 option that comes up? Does someone like a Joel Smith, me losing two years of football, Mm. open up an opportunity for Marty Hall? Does a Jacob Wietering issue open up a door for Durden. I mean, there's a lot of dynamics, but we're still in the middle of pre-season. There's still 50 days of football to go. Yeah. There's there's plenty of time. Like, I look at this early fixture from a Richmond perspective. There's a couple of nuances there. They play the Gold Coast round one. Gold Coast are going to play that Damian Hardwick style. They've all but confirmed that, both when you speak to players, you hear the coaches talk about picking up this new game style and, and how it works. Well, historically, rebounding defenders and halfbacks score really well against Richmond. So there's a bit of loading that will come potentially in price movement for us in that opening round. Then it's the Blues, Port, Swans in the first three weeks of the season. And then those really juicy matchups that you mentioned about the Saints and the Eagles. So round zero is the interesting part and the dynamic Mm -hmm. of all this. He does have a friendly matchup for the Gold Coast in round zero. But the points don't contribute to your yearly points. That's half the battle, okay? Yes. The second thing is there's a very nasty little obstacle at Gold Coast that sits in a forward pocket that has done jobs before on players. His name's Holman. Yeah. Whether he's best 22 or not right now, the problem is, who knows? I just don't know. Whether Hardwick will utilize him in that role, don't know. 
but there is a chance if you got a tool at your disposal and he's a very effective tool yeah. why wouldn't you use him i know last year we were tricked with finn early on in the year because <laughs> like the same thing could, could be said yeah sometimes coaches have a bit of a blank at times yeah. but if you've got a tool like holman who's done jobs on whitfield on others in the past you just got to be a bit wary on that team selection in round zero. But the thing is, you don't need to because he's not going to impact your overall points for the year. No. So and it's you, like, that's a frank for you, yeah? Yeah. Sure, well, you paying, should be the guy up anyway. Yeah. I, I want to ask you a question before we quickly look at his draft uh, relevancy for us in 2024, which again is really, really high. Um there's that really nice matchup of St Kilda and West Coast again. All we can do at the start of the year is use the data of previous seasons and St Kilda just gifted points to halfbacks and West Coast. Well, if you still believe they're going to be the basket case or just a mini basket case this year, then again, they were gifting points left, right and centre. I, I want to ask, I don't know, an interesting question that might not be for everybody and it might not be for every format. Probably it's an AFL fantasy platform being straight with you. In round one and two, there, there's a player by the name of Lockie Whitfield that's got a pretty nice fixture, North Melbourne and West Coast. He then enters the round three by. Jaden Short then at round four enters the Swans, which is reasonable. Saints, which is juicy, and Eagles, well, it's the same by round that uh, or scoring opportunity that Lockie Whitfield has. You could probably put a, a Will Powell into this conversation if you'd like as well, but I want to ask this question about creatively looking at how we approach these first six weeks. Can you start a Whitfield, get these juicy two games? I know he's got some nicer games after the buy two. I know it's a premium to premium move, but can you get those juicy games, then get into another couple of juicy games, and then at round six, look and see. Do I want to hold short through the buys? Do I want to jump back to a Lockie Whitfield? Well, how about this, MJ? No, no. How about this? Let's just say, I just said there's a lot of curveballs that get thrown your way, okay, when you plan. But let's be a bit cheeky with this one, okay? Let's do it. Let's say I'm going to start with Whitfield. At round three, I'm going to trade in short. Yep. At round six, I'm going to go to Dacos. After his buy, after the Finn McGuinness... And it's a like for like. Can you do that? Yes, you can. Of course you can. What's the problem with it? You, <laughs> what else could you do with those th- two or three trades? Correct. Like, are you building the right amount of team-based dollars to actually establish your team and get to a full completed team of full premiums? And I'm not talking about those half-half guys hmm. like the mid-prices because everyone's a bit flippant with the way that they set premiums, guns, whatever the terminology is, but no one actually really understands it themselves. So they just go, I regard the guy as a gun. I'm going to call him a gun. Hmm. Yeah, but he's actually priced at 50. Is he really a gun? Yeah. Ah, well, he is to me. And I mean, how can you argue that? No, you can't. But we already talked about this the other day. Someone like a Will Satterfield, someone like... These are the guys that you have to have quick cash, Jen, mm. from. Does it mean you're going to miss one of these types that just surfaces at the same point in time of your plan that you're doing a sideways to gain 50 points? 
And then you've got a nasty discussion with yourself where you sit in a room or a dark closet or whatever you want to do, and you actually give yourself a bit of a lecture. Is it points? Is it dollars that I'm actually Mm. worried about? And that can only be an individual's coach's decision on what they want to do. But at oftentimes at the start of the year and the first six to seven rounds of the year, we over, over, over talk that points matter the most. That's the highest priority. I actually think it's the other way around it. It's dollars that are more important. Early on, yeah. So Jaden's got a history of consistent 90-plus scoring with the market share potential of a low hundreds average. He's got an early buy. Does that present some challenges for you? Absolutely. But based on the way you pick your additional other 29 players, there's ways of moving through it. You could build a case that with that early fixture and this game style that we'll get to see from Adam Uze soon, we could see him elevate to himself as a safe 100 averaging defender and he becomes a great starting squad option. Conversely, you might want to watch and wait and see a little bit what these first few weeks is. Take the gift of the early buy. You might miss a couple of juicy matchups, but given Short's history of being consistent 90s guy and the higher price point of how the magic number moves a player's price, you might go, you know what? He's not going to drastically move in price. I can target him as a trade from round seven onwards before I get into that second buy of Richmond for round 15. The beauty of Short is he's a scorer wherever he plays and the basement of how Richmond's total scoring points has been over the past five or six years means at worst, I believe this is what Jaden Short is. He holds as a 90s average defender at best. There's an actual simple, easy pathway for him to push towards that 100-plus average. As we look towards what it means for drafts in 2024, Rids, his seasonal averages will put him as a D1 in all of the formats for the most part. I can see him sliding out of that position with people maybe reaching for some guys they really do want to have at that lower level. Um, how early for you do you see him going off draft boards? If D1 is kind of the normative spot, Is it third round? Is it fourth round? How do you see those first 20 picks of the draft overall impacting his draft range? It's all about the position of the round that you've actually got the selection in. So short, no question. He's in the same category as a Dan Houston, okay? They're D1s all day. There's no problems about that. But the problem is how do you relate them to the other lines and when to select them? I really, I'm just a bit unsure. My Gaffiel says I would be looking at my first defender around the third round, fourth round of my lofter selections. But again, it's really going to be dictated by where do you fall in the round in your selections? What trends? Who goes on the run first? Is we could we're pretty much saying the rucks are going to go first, yeah? At this point in time. The run rucks is going to be first round. There's going to be at least four, potentially five, maybe push out to six guys if it really starts cranking up early. Like yeah, it's going to be I could see a world English, Marshall, Gorn, Grundy could be your first four selections in a draft right now. Like they could. Yeah. 
it really could. It depends. Like you said, all the variables of drafters, squads, formats, how many coaches, how many depth in positions. There's so many variables. And because they've gone, MJ, you know what happens then? The importance of a Briggs rises up. flipped. The importance of a Nankervis rises up. You know, what? The importance of a Luke Jackson potentially He, people might be going, oh, you're crazy. He's not even a, like a forward three or two or, you know, mm. yeah, that's fine. But it's all in relation to who's already off the board. Yeah, some good so, advice. Again, I'm being really flippant with it because we all know Dacos is going to be one of the first four taken. Absolutely. But I'm being a bit flippant with it. Bontempelli is also in the discussions. Yeah. But I'm just saying there is a world those four rucks go and then they drive the importance of the other rucks. So with a short, for instance, I'd be actually really, really interested if he's good. If there's two, maybe three defender premiums off the board, Mm. that's when I'm thinking I'm going to jump on a Jaden short and I'll just quickly explain it to other people out there. If Richmond's team total goes up to 1520 on average Mm. a game, and we're only talking 25 points. Okay. Jaden Short only needs to have a market share of 7.2 to hit 110 average. Wow. That's how close these margins are. He is right in that discussion. If you've got a gut feel on him and you believe he's capable to do that in the current makeup, you need to jump a little bit earlier on him. Yes, some ripping thoughts for us to land this episode, mate. As always, a pleasure talking fantasy footy with you and one of your Tiger boys. Easy, mate. If you want to go and read the article, you can right now. It's available for you at coachespanel.tv, as well as all the other players we've revealed so far in the 50 most relevant. If you're enjoying the audio podcast of these, make sure you've subscribed, got those notifications on. So as soon as the episode drops, you'll get notified on your device and leave a five-star rating and review. We might even read it out on the podcast. Matt has just dropped one in. He said he's been listening for years. He thinks it's an incredible podcast and it just opens up the way he thinks he's a big fan. Fan of Kane, though. He's a big fan. The way he puts things, it helps him a lot and it helps him work things out. He's awesome. He loves everybody else, but I think I think that might be Kane's burner account. Not more, so much Ritz, though. Uh, no, no, I think that no, might be just Kane's Kane, burner more account. MJ, not so no, much Ritz. Yeah, no, that's definitely Kane's burner account. So if you want to get involved, you can do that. Uh, and you can also uh, join the conversation if you're watching this episode on YouTube. You can have your say in the comments section below as well as subscribe and got the notifications on. In 30 seconds time, I'm going to tell you who is next with a little clue. And if you can thread it all together, you might figure it out. But make sure you join our Patreon supporter group. They gain access to a bunch of other hidden rewards, extra extra podcasts, extra articles, and a ton of other great stuff. Plus, they help the coaches panel in the preseason and season proper, being able to bring you the content every single day. The links to join our Patreon, as well as follow us and get in touch with us across social media, are in the description of this episode. So, who's next in the 50 most relevant? We're going to stay in the defensive line. It's a player that as the season went on last year, people are like, oh, If this scoring holds, I'm going to get a great value option here. And as the year went on and on, those hundreds started to appear. Probably if you opened up your team in the team pickers or when AFL Fantasy opened early and mid-December, you picked this guy in your team. But as the preseason has evolved, 
the love for this player has diminished, but the reason to fade him was the same as when you first picked him and were bullish on him. Have we overcomplicated the preseason or have we found reasons why he should be called on? Who's this defender that could be the premium that's not priced at that range? You will find out tomorrow in the 50 Most Relevant. Give it all, now keep it true.